Here we go. Take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to the Field Preachers Podcast. My name is Beth Estock, and I am delighted to be talking with Dave Shaw all the way from the United Kingdom today in the area of Nottingham. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Beth. I um, want to just let our listeners know a little bit about you and why um, they're going to be excited to listen to this podcast today. So I'm just going to read your little bio that you sent me because it's filled with wonderful gems of the serendipitous way that God works in and through our life. And I think that might be the direction that I want to go today with you in terms of what does discernment look like and how have you followed the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life and your ministry in some really interesting ways. So here goes. Dave Shaw is a pioneer project manager, and cultural change curator. He's worked 30 plus years working for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. This is like the IRS people and its <laughs> predecessor departments in the UK central government. So he's a tax guy. Dave Shaw is a tax guy. How did he end up in ministry? Oh my gosh. I think there was, there was a disciple that was a tax guy anyway. For the last 22 years, I have worked within projects managing cultural change and business re-engineering, dedicated to Christ in a Baptist church, professed faith in Christ in a Pentecostal church at age seven, raised in a conservative evangelical Anglican church, first filled with the spirit of Christ in a Roman Catholic church, and my journey with Christ to the place where I currently serve within Methodism, has taken me via several cell church and alternative worship communities. A basic proficiency in guitar playing has enabled me to serve in leading acts of worship in homes, leafy parish churches, village halls, cathedrals, and now online. But Christ's presence is often most tangible to me when working alongside the poor and the marginalized. I have an allergy to preaching. I'm fascinated by the way church architecture contributes to the community perception of space and place and have still to fully explore the implications for mission and pioneering. I love to see older community buildings reimagined and reconfigured for new purposes. I'm 55, white, gay, male, and not ready to take vows of celibacy yet although vows of obedience were taken too far back for me to remember. Time out is spent walking, traveling, growing stuff, messing about with water, and assembling 12-inch-to-foot railway layouts. I never knew that about you, Dave. Dave is currently studying full-time for a master's degree in Christian mission at Cliff College in the UK. So, Dave, what a fantastic bio you sent me. And it is, Beth. Yes, it is. And how we met is by you telling me your story about how you came upon the church that you're a part of right now and the ministry you're mm. doing. And I think this bio really speaks beautifully to the fact that you have um, allowed the spirit to guide you and direct you and shape and form you in all these different um, 
communities of faith, very ecumenical uh, in the Christian world. So can you share with us a little bit about the story of you coming upon this little Methodist church in Nottingham and deciding that this was the place for you? Yeah, it, it, it's certainly been an exciting journey the last few years. Um, I've kind of put some pictures that relate to uh, the place where I am now in my background. So you've just got a bit of a feel for the place. But um, yeah, I, I've lived in the area, uh, the Meadows area of Nottingham, um, for about 20 years now. And um, it originally, it was kind of a bit of a lazy move, really. I moved into the area because um, it's literally about three quarters of a mile from the city centre. Um, so it meant after I'd been out at night clubbing, I could roll home. I didn't have to get a taxi uh, or a late night bus or anything. And um, I was quite often out socialising. Um, but it was also closer to where my parents lived. Um, and it was very close to where I worked. Um, I, I, I literally live seven minutes walk from my desk in the office when I'm actually there. Although for the last year, like everyone else, I've been working from home. So having been in the Meadows for 20 years, um, about eight years ago, I felt the call to be part of a local faith community. And um, that that was something that a sense of, uh, growing discontent really for perhaps a couple of years before that um, I'd been quite heavily involved with uh, activities in the local community. I'd chaired the local tenants and residents association. I'd then um, been, become the chair of the local regeneration charitable trust in the meadows that works with stakeholders across the city uh, to see uh, investment and change in the community. So I don't I just, I just want to interrupt a little bit. Can you tell people mm. a little bit about the meadows? Um uh it's a low income yeah. kind of okay. uh, being close to the city centre, it's quite unusual really. Um Nottingham City Centre has seen a lot of regeneration. And uh, over the last 20 years, people have moved back into the city centre again, as has happened in a lot of Western uh, cities. Um but the Meadows is like uh, an inner city village. Uh, it sits bounded to the north between the area and the city centre uh, by uh, the main railway line in Snottingham. To the south of it is the River Trent, um, which many will know is associated with um, some of the big fort, uh, sporting uh, fixtures uh, in Nottingham. Um, and then either side, to the east and to the west, there are two main arterial roads into the city. So... Uh, prior to the building of the tram through the area, it was quite isolated, really, and people never came into the meadows unless they had a reason to actually come and visit someone or a business there. Uh, in terms of its socioeconomic positioning, um, as a community, parts of it sit within the top 3% of deprived communities in the UK. So significant pockets of deprivation. Um, some of that has changed in recent years as there's been a regeneration project managed by the local authority that's taken place and seen some uh, pockets of housing demolished uh, and rebuilt. And, and, and um, so, yeah, things are changing in the meadows for the better, uh, I think, in terms of the socioeconomic positioning. Um, but it, th there are still real pockets of, of deprivation and amongst uh, people that have lived in the area for a very long time. Okay, sorry, I took you on that sidetrack. So continue with your story. <laughs> so, so for me, uh, feeling this call, and part of it was because um, I was building up relationships with people in the community that um, 
you know, I knew we were struggling to make ends meet. Um, I wanted to be part of the, a local church uh, in the Meadows area. I actually had a plan to, at uh, the summer of 2012, to visit all the churches in the area because I'd already met some of the leaders and, uh, and, and to see, to meet the communities, see what they were like. Uh, and as I did that, to pray and discern where I felt God was calling me to. Um, so, yeah, this first, uh, this first Sunday, I, I set off from my house and um, walked past one of the churches. Didn't feel appropriate for me to go in there. So uh, headed into the heart of the community with the intention of heading for one of the uh, quite a lively Anglican church, really, in the, in the community. Um, but as I came into the shopping centre, um, I actually felt um, drawn to a door that was slightly ajar uh, of a big red brick building. Uh, and um, it was interesting because every time I'd passed this building for the previous few months, actually, um, <laughs> actually, every time I went by, I saw people standing out smoking, which standing outside smoking, which I thought was rather strange for a church. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I just felt drawn to pray and, and, and physically on a couple of occasions to stop. Uh, on my bicycle, lay my hands on the the, the, the bricks and to pray uh, for the place, which I thought was a bit weird at the time. But, you know, I sensed that was what God's leading. Um, so it came to this Sunday and, and felt drawn into this sl- slightly open door. And uh, I went inside and found um, a, a group of uh, 18 to 20 uh, Afro-Caribbean folk uh, meeting together and they welcomed me into their midst and uh, uh, they had a fairly traditional Methodist church service and uh, despite the fact that I was a worship leader and I've been a worship leader for a number of years I think the five songs they sang that that morning I didn't know any of the tunes to and I thought that was a bit peculiar but every time they sang I felt quite tearful Hmm. and if there's one thing that I know is that when that kind of happens to me it's like the spirit of God's at work doing something. So we sang these five songs. I kind of cried through them, but didn't know any of the tunes. And at the end of the service, this woman came up to me and said, my name's Islin. She said, and if I give you 20 pounds, she said, if you come back next week, I'll give you five pounds if you remember my name. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is, this is a strange way to grow a church. <laughs> but I, I sort of thanked them, sort of scuttled off afterwards. And um, I thought, well, that's all a bit strange, Lord. And uh, anyway, headed home. Uh, the next week, I set out on my adventure again. And um, uh, in, again, heading for this, this Anglican church. But again, when I got into the centre of the meadows by this, this Methodist facility, again, the door was slightly ajar. And I felt God's take to me go in there. And I went, no, surely not, Lord. <laughs> But I went in. Actually, that week, I did actually know one of the hymns, which was sort of progress. Uh, but again, actually sort of felt quite tearful whenever they worshipped. They were singing a cappella. They got no musicians to accompany them. And, uh, you know, bless them. They were, they were, it felt as though they were a church that was just hanging on. Um, anyway, the third week, I set out again. And when the same thing happened, I kind of got the drift that actually this is where God was leading me. This was where I was supposed to be. And so I kind of I signed up and, and, you know, made this this irregular uh, pattern of my Sunday morning, which was kind of interesting. Because up to that point in time, I'd not actually been at church on a Sunday morning. I was leading uh, worship to a very lively Anglican church uh, in a market town 14 miles south uh, at Loughborough. 
and uh, having a great time and, and and you know it was it was working with some wonderful musicians uh, amongst a growing uh, a growing church and uh, uh, yeah so for a period from June to September 2012 I was um, attending this little Methodist church in the morning and then in the evening leading worship for a congregation of 100 to 150 uh, down at Emmanuel Church in Loughborough on occasion which was kind of bizarre and then I remember leading worship down there in July and God saying to me this is the last time and I was really again I was really tearful after the service knowing that that was my last time and everyone else was like why are you upset? Why are you upset? And I'd already told them that I thought that um, September I would be leaving. But they were like, oh, you're going to be here till September. It's just like, and I thought, yeah, but I know that that was, that was my last time to leave worship. So it was just kind of like, oh, it was very special. And I worked with some great guys, great musicians that night. When I arrived at this little church and kind of settled in properly, um, I'd not been there for more than a month when one of the senior lay people sort of gave me a bunch of keys and kind of said, here you are, let yourself in and out. <laughs> Which, again, was like, I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. <laughs> uh, but soon after, we were approached by Hope Nottingham, who were looking for a place to open a food bank in the Meadows area of Nottingham. And um, uh, I was at a meeting of church leaders where they kind of made this appeal. And uh, I said, um, well, you know, we've got oodles of space. We've not got many people, but... Um, you know, if you can source some volunteers for us, then I'd be happy to um, to open a food bank to, and to, you know, to oversee that. And uh, I remember that, again, the person who'd given me the keys, actually, she was a senior lay person in the church. She was there. And I think the jaw kind of hit the floor as I'd sort of said that. because uh, I think she was thinking, how on earth are we going to do this? But anyway, that was that was December 2012. We opened the food bank, um, operated out of a very small room. Um, and then... Um, added a couple of sessions over the years. So we hold three, we run three public sessions a week now with the food bank. Um, actually, the volunteers have added a couple of extra sessions onto the road to now where they come in and do all the stuff, keeping things organised and tidy. Uh, so it's just like there's volunteers for food bank wanting to come every time I open the doors now, which is a quite a joyous experience in the sense to see people dying to get into the church facility, but uh, sad as well in that 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 such a facility is needed. Uh, and then back in uh, March last year, just prior to COVID, we actually moved all the food stores out of a load of little rooms. It was all in and just put it down in the sports hall. And I think you can see that just here somewhere. Mm -hmm. So um, that was quite a big change for us. Um, something that had happened alongside the food bank, though, was that we'd started the Sunday evening community meal nearly three years ago now um, through some of the people that we'd met through the food bank. And um, on Sunday evenings, we've been hosting a meal where um, uh, we invite people just to come and join us and we, we kind of cook food and share food together. Uh, unfortunately, during COVID, again, it's become a takeaway service, but we're hoping within the next few weeks we're going to be able to open up and welcome people back into the building. Um, two years ago, um, someone asked if we could um, sing some Christmas carols when it came to Christmas. So uh, we, from that point on, we added a short informal act of worship before the meal. And, um, you know, it's just been amazing early at times to see 25, 30 uh, unchurched folk gathering uh, in the church auditorium. Quite often we have quite a sort of dialogical um, approach to uh, reading a bit of scripture and then talking about it. 
just before we broke up for COVID, we had just finished a series on the Ten Commandments, and that was really interesting uh, to talk those through and what they meant for us today. Um, and quite often we'll make use of prayer stations and rituals and symbols to help people just engage. And, uh, you know, it's been fantastic just to see what's happened really with that group and to see uh, the ways in which, um, you know, some of those people, some of whom are homeless, um, have, have just really engaged with that. I got a slide somewhere. I was going to try and dig, dig, dig it out where there's just this, this picture down the aisle of the, the church facility and sort of scattered either side, there's kind of these rucksacks and sleeping bags and stuff that the homeless folk have just abandoned there as they've kind of joined in stuff and then gone for the meal afterwards and actually just left all their stuff uh, in the church. And, and you know, that's sort of, I found that quite a moving image, really. You know, leaving the, the candles were burning at the front of the church and the, the other things they've been involved in doing. And, and, and you know, just that image of laying down um, those kind of burdens and the stuff that they come with. Um, you know, that finding that place of rest, even if it's only temporary, I think, you know, it's just an amazing, amazing image. Really. I remember, I think it was the first time I talked to you. I asked you what your biggest concern was for this burgeoning ministry. Do you remember what you told me? My concern for the burgeoning ministry, I, I don't know whether it gets too big. <laughs> no, I think that's my worry now. <laughs> Well, that's a good worry to have, but you said that you are concerned that the building is going to fall in on your volunteers oh, because of the uh, yeah. need for repair. Yeah, the I mean, it's this really is at the the crux, I think, of um, you know what has been our faith journey because um, back in two thousand and four, the the local authority placed the area that the church facility uh, is in. Uh, in a regeneration zone, and um, they had plans to move the shopping uh, the, the shopping area around the church to actually move the whole shopping area uh, slightly further north into a regeneration zone that they created, uh, and the church will be demolished along with the shops and the, the flats above them to provide some new housing. Um, so at that point, the church wisely put the facility on a maintenance holiday. Uh, well, that's like 17 years ago now, mm. uh, plus which the church was rebuilt in the 60s, as you can perhaps tell from the images, in order to better serve the community, to provide a more flexible space to serve the community. But uh, in England in the 1960s, we didn't really cover ourselves in glory when it comes to the quality of our architecture. So when I had the insurance underwriters in a couple of weeks back, you know, the buildings regarded as being... Um, non-standard construction uh, because of, of the way in which it's designed. Um, so it's got some solid brick walls and solid foundations. Well, as solid as you can be when you're building on sand, but that's a different, <laughs> different Bible study, isn't it? But, um, you know, we're in the meadows, we're in the gravel, uh, the, the kind of um, the, um, the, the floodplain of the River Trent. So, uh, you know, all of our buildings are built on the uh, shale and gravels, basically, but... Um, but the, the, the construction of the outside sound, um, but the roof is not so good. Uh, it, it's construction sound, but um, it's a flat roof, so it, it needs you know regular replacement. And it's well overdue for its replacement. So, uh, yeah, we have to put the buckets out when it rains. And particularly when the wind blows from the east, we get quite a lot of water in the cafe area. So uh, we're in this situation where, um, you know, the, the, the Methodist district constantly is telling us that 
our building's not fit for purpose. And uh, and yet we've lived this journey now for the last nine years that I've been part of, where, you know, we felt God's called us to um, serve him in this situation in spite of the realities that we face uh, with our building. Now, it's kind of really interesting this week because um, some of the food bank volunteers are really keen to see um, the be the building reimagined and redeveloped. And the church council are getting up to speed with it as well. They're doing, they're doing pretty good lesson um but we've actually got two meetings this week one to talk with the church about its vision for the future and how the the facility might be best used to serve the community and then the following evening a meeting with um what i've called a property enabling group um because there's some of the people that i know are quite innovative and quite creative uh, amongst the feedback volunteers and as we sort of prepare to reopen after covid um just really drawing on some of their ideas and their imagination imaginative ideas to, to be able to to get things back up and running and uh yeah that will feed back to the church as well so there's kind of i think going to be a bit of a, a bit of a synergistic uh cycle there really in terms of ideas dave when i hear your story i think back to the story of peter and the dream of the food falling on the sheet and here he was this um you know this kosher jew saying no i'm not going to eat of this and then when he goes and, and meets uh, the Gentile family, the first thing he says is, this is highly unusual. You know, Jews don't necessarily, uh, you know, enter into the homes of unclean people. And um, all along this story, uh, you've even said it yourself, highly unusual. There's some highly unusual things here. And beginning with the laying of the hands on the building and the, the, the door slightly ajar and um, this, this uh, message for you to go in and then um, being in this highly unusual place where there is no music and you're a musician and there's songs uh, that you don't even know. And it's all um, highly unusual. And yet here you are. And so I think my question is, how do you, uh, being shaped and formed in all these beautiful ways, know that you're listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit um, as you do your ministry? And what has that looked like for you? And how do you uh, trust and rely on that guidance? Um, I think, first of all, um, just to be conscious that I'm a disciple seeking to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, alongside a whole host of other people mm -hmm. um and um so some of that guidance um may come to me as i meditate and reflect on scripture um quite often um that formation takes place as i talk and pray with christian sisters and brothers mm -hmm. um and you know for, sometimes it's um uh, they're more challenging reactions that uh you know, a formative uh, for me because, um, you know, when, you, when you're planning to leave a church um, and, and you share that with people, you know, people perhaps, you know, and trust, um, first of all, um, you know, sometimes their immediate reaction is, oh, no, you know, we don't want to lose you, um, which is a great reaction. But I mean, it's very affirming, but, you know, it's hard. It's hard for them. And sometimes, you know, with our folk now, um, you know, when I, I say, well, I think, my, you know, God might be leading us to this next. 
And it's just like, oh no, we can't do anything else right now. You know, we've got our plate full. It's just like, and 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 so you know that um, then you know causes me to go back and think, well, is this the right time? You know, have I heard God right in in this? Um, and and you know, I am conscious that um, uh, perhaps for my sake, that you know, God does tend to give me quite a bit of warning uh, about things happening. Um, so I am conscious these days that sometimes when I say, you know, I wonder whether God's leading us towards this, that this might not be something for right now, but it may be something for us to pray about and reflect on and work on together for the future. So um, I think probably for me is more about um, sometimes just putting things out there, whether in my own mind, for my own sake, or for people that I'm working with. And then just stepping back from it a little bit and just watching the dust settle and, and see, see what happens after that. But in the end, you know, you have to have that peace in your own heart about something, about decisions taken, uh, about changes made. Um, because if something's not right, you know, I think that, you know, that, you know, that peace, it won't, it won't stay with you. So I think that I think they're the key things for me in terms of scripture, you know, working with others and just knowing that inner peace myself about the situation yeah it's uh kind of uh you know we have this wesleyan quadrilateral of scripture mm. and reason and experience and tradition and it sounds like you rely upon those pillars mm. um for your guidance um i am uh fascinated by what i'm hearing you say is really a different way to lead and envision it's not necessarily kind of a modern, let's write the strategic plan and, mm. and uh, activate on the plan. It's more of a deep listening to what longs to unfold and following the breadcrumbs of that and um, playing with the possibilities. But um, as Elaine, he says, letting go of the outcome. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think as well, um, to be conscious of the fact that um, you know, the voices or, or the things that I need to hear, um, you know, may not first be heard within the faith community. Um, so, you know, quite often um, it will be, you know, perhaps people in the community or the food bank volunteers uh, will say something that will just trigger, um, you know, press my buttons really, um, such that I know that uh, it's time to, um, think about something or do something or reflect on something uh, and then often bring that back to the the attention of the church community and say you know what does this mean for for us as a you know a group of pilgrims or a group of uh, I think you called me a head of monks didn't you but uh, something like that together as we as we seek to move on um, you know what does this mean for us and and for me you know to build those strategic partnerships within and outside of the church, uh, particularly within the wider community, um, so that we have that opportunity to work with those people of peace in our community that share our hearts, you know, for certain situations and see certain things happen um, so that we work with whoever we can work with to, to achieve what we feel God's called us to. Oftentimes in that letting go and trusting in the guidance, uh, we're confronted with fear. Um, I, it's not uh, insignificant that when um, something happens in the Bible, an angel shows up and the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, do not be afraid. 
knowing that when uh, we are uh, conspiring with God, fear shows up. Can you give us uh, a story or a glimpse of how that has shown up in your life and what you've done with that? Uh, yeah, I think um, sometimes if I reflect too much on what we're actually doing right now, it's it's enough to make me think gulp at least. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, I mean, just some of the very practical things, you know, when you've got um, volunteers shifting heavy boxes of food around, uh, when you've got people cooking, uh, you know, in a, well, it's not a particularly crowded kitchen at the moment because of COVID limiting, but um, nevertheless, in, in, in a, you know, an environment where accidents can happen. I think for me, it's always thinking about how we keep people safe, how we enable them to, to serve the community in a way that's, you know, um, good for the community, but also safe, safe for them. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that's, that's the thing that for me, whether it's in terms of, you know, the, the building leaking or the electrics playing up or whatever, you know, I want to make sure that the volunteers operate in an environment that's safe and that, you know, we keep some of the people in church safe as well. But um, yeah, so I think just, just considering those things, um, you know, it's really, really important for me. Because um, I think that, I suppose the other thing as well is that um, just in terms of listening to what people have got to say, um, you know, I'm always, if I have another concern, it's just that I don't um, hear hear properly um, what it is that, that people are saying, what the concerns that they're expressing, the, the, as well as the joys at times and the, the things that they're thankful for, that I overlook those in the business. So uh, I think they're probably the two things for me that, uh, that uh, concern me. And in terms of dealing with those concerns, I think it's first of all just making sure that I have my own um, regular rhythm of Sabbath where I have a chance to rest and to worship. Uh, and that's just between me and God. Um, and also that I have more regular times out when I'm able to go on retreats and just spend time out thinking and reflecting on um, what's happening and, and what may be next for us. Um, and I think that that helps me with some of the checks and balances in terms of uh, managing, you know, a very at times lively bunch of people. Well, as you enter into this next phase, um, you will be graduating with your master's. Hopefully, and then yes. you'll be going back to work for Her Majesty mm. as the tax man. <laughs> and then um, I think I think some of that, Beth. I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about this, but um, you know, when you're working in an area such as such as ours, um, you know, the bottom line's always stacked against you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we we could have a, a church auditorium full of people. Uh, from the meadows and we still won't be able to cover our insurance bills or our utility bills or now thank god he's blessed us so much particularly in terms of people wanting to bless the work of the food bank that those things have not been an issue for us uh, thus far um but nevertheless you know in terms of the wider church they're always looking at the bottom line to see um you know whether we're considered to be uh, sustainable I think that's the word that's that's often used. Um, and, and, you know, it, it always feels somewhat unjust to me um, that um, churches in the kind of location that we're in uh, are still expected to pay the same kinds of bills that churches in the more affluent 
parts of our uh, uh, county and country are, are expected to. And the, and the Methodist Church looks at that and says, you know, well, that's the way it is. We expect churches to be sustainable. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, being bivocational for me, working part time in the week for Majesty's Revenue Customs and working part time um, for the Methodist Church, whether in a paid or unpaid role, preferably unpaid. Uh, means that it's easier for me to pursue um, the pioneer ministry I feel God's called me to. And it doesn't place a financial burden on the bottom line of the church. Mm-hmm. So I think that may be the way forward. But, you know, I, I, it's not too long now before I'll be able to take um, retirement. So um, I'm kind of just uh, praying that uh, God will lead me again uh, when it's the right time to do that. Mm. Um, what are what are your what are you looking forward to in this next year of uh, this ministry? Having a rest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I was just uh, I was just uh, listening um, to a podcast again today that was talking about you know the way in which God's drawn us closer to Him during this time when we've been able to step back from some of the things we've normally been involved with during COVID, but. Uh, you know, my experience is that I've been involved with all the normal stuff plus extra stuff. So, uh, no, so I must admit within the next year, um, I am planning to take some time out. And uh, certainly one of the things that I'm praying about at the moment is when that should be and how that dovetails with my return to work and the finishing of my uh, academic studies and, and the like. Um, but that's that will be important for me because I think after nine years working in the kind of context that I've been ministering in um it is important for me to be able to have an extended time where i step back uh, and think about the next steps um, we've got a new minister coming in september so i'm perhaps going to need to uh, uh, get him house trained first before we can uh, <laughs> step back from things a little bit but i'm sure once he knows the ropes and what's what and in terms of other people in the church just stepping up to the plate a bit uh, to kind of cover for me then um it will be the right time to take some time out um, but I think that, uh, you know, there's some really exciting things happening and I, I'm really excited to see the way in which the church is taking responsibility now for itself and the little group of trustees um, that's, you know, the heart of that worshipping community is just stepping up to the plate in order to move things forward now that they're, they're, they've got that kind of independence and ability to choose. Uh, and as well to see the way in which the food bank just continues to, to grow and develop. Um, to a degree, uh, I no longer lead that. I simply just oversee it. And that's a different role. And uh, it's, it's exciting. So, yeah. Can you tell us how many people normally um, come to worship on Sundays? Yeah, um, on Sundays at the moment, there's probably between 15 to 18 on Zoom, a gathering online. Um, uh, in person, there's probably a two or three more that uh, we've just not been able to migrate onto Zoom over the last year. Um, But for us, you know, the meeting on Zoom has actually deepened our relationship and our fellowship together because we're looking at each other's faces and not the back of our heads. And so um, we've had far more, uh, a far better engagement. And because we've um, made a lot of use of Zoom breakout groups, um, we've had some deeper conversations as well. Uh, about the things that uh, we've been reflecting on and learning uh, from. Um, and that, you know, I think 
been a significant change for us. It's it's deepened relationships within the within the um, the worshiping community. Definitely, it's just really beautiful to know that so many lives are being touched with this church who has a leaky roof. Yeah, and a group of uh, a motley crew of eighteen to twenty disciples, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, if, if you were a betting person, you probably wouldn't bet on that. But uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, with, with the grace of God, um, all things are possible. And, Definitely. Uh, what a beautiful thing to witness. Thank you, Dave, for sharing uh, a little bit of your story today with us. And in particular, how you have um, kind of followed the breadcrumbs of that grace. And God's unfolding and trusting in that and using the gift of community as part of that discernment process in such a beautiful way. Cheers, Beth. Cheers, Dave. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.